0: into mindset shifts that give you the power to decide how you feel, not the media, not your past, and not social conditioning. Then you'll discover how to use this inspiration and this new sense of confidence to be the best you, the you that you are meant to be. So get ready, my friend. It is time to get awesome inside out. Hey there, thank you so much for joining for another interview episode on the Awesome Inside Out podcast. As always, I am so stoked and thankful that you are here today, ready to upgrade your health, your well being, your mindset, your life, and your internal dialogue, whether that's about self love, self worth, self confidence, self awareness, self esteem, whatever's showing up for you. I'm here for you. And thank you for popping in and joining us today. So, if you enjoy this conversation and it brings you wisdom and inspiration and motivates you, it would mean the world to me for others to have access to this powerful content. So, the best way to support is by sharing it whether that's on social media or with someone else that you love deeply that could also benefit from this content today so thank you in advance also make sure to stay till the end as i'm going to offer some applicable takeaways and a fun challenge this week to upgrade your health all right so this week we're diving into food as medicine when i was 15 years old my father reversed type 2 diabetes and he cured cancer using the power of food and I have told this story countless times, and I've become an advocate of using food as medicine, specifically as a way to heal the root cause of sickness, rather than throwing a bandaid over the problem in hopes of mitigating the symptoms. But despite my father's success story, it doesn't shock me still to this day how many people are skeptics to this belief that food can actually heal the body. And so I get it though that we for many, many years have been taught a different way, a different model of healing. And the major setback with the traditional approach, Western medicine, is that in most cases, we are not healing the root cause, or we're not considering the physical, emotional, or lifestyle changes that need to take place. So instead, in most instances of Western medicine, quick fixes are our go-to solution for illness, whereas a more comprehensive, preventative, and holistic approach is often overlooked. And this does not mean that medicine is bad at all. It just means that we shouldn't ignore that food can truly heal the body from the inside out. And I'm excited today because I have two amazing guests joining and they're gonna tell their story about the power of food as medicine. So today I'm joined by the co-founders of Mastering Diabetes, Robbie Barbaro and Cyrus Kambada, who have a coaching program that reverses insulin resistance via a low-fat plant-based whole food protocol. Cyrus has been living with type 1 diabetes since 2002 and has an undergraduate degree from Stanford University and a PhD in nutritional biochemistry from UC Berkeley. Robbie was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in 2000 and has been living a plant-based lifestyle since 2006. He worked at Forks Over Knives for six years, has an undergraduate degree from the University of Florida, and has a master degree in public health from the American Public University. Cyrus and Robbie have been featured on Healthline, Mind Body Green, NPR, and PBS. From the moments that they were diagnosed with type one diabetes to dedicating the next several years to studying and finding the right protocol that worked for them, there is no one better to discuss the world of plant-based nutrition than them. In this episode, you're going to discover how to start using food as medicine, why a plant-based diet can fundamentally change the quality of your life, and why the right diet never feels like sacrifice, which is my number one thing that I want you guys to take away time and time again on this podcast. Be prepared to have your mind blown, grab a piece of paper and a pen, and let's dive in. Hey, Robbie and Cyrus, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to have this incredible conversation with both of you. Thanks for having
1: us. Thank you so much, Sarah. We're, uh, We're honored to be here today, for sure.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation because something most of the listeners don't know about my story was that when my father was diagnosed with terminal cancer, he also at that time had type 2 diabetes. And at that time, he went on a very holistic alternative approach. He decided to go on a plant-based diet and ended up curing both or reversing the type 2 diabetes and also curing terminal cancer at the same time. And what was so strange for me was that at that time, there wasn't interest from the doctors or the conventional approach of what he did or how he did it it was very much just, oh, well, now you've reversed your diabetes and you're cancer-free. <laughs> and so when I discovered the work that you guys are doing and just sharing the impact and what can happen going on a plant-based protocol and, and really the reverse approach in which we can heal chronic sickness and mitigate a lot of, a lot of the complications that happen from the standard American diet, I was so excited to have this conversation with you. So again, thank you so much for being here.
1: For sure, for sure. It's funny, actually. The world of plant based nutrition is, you know, there's a lot of scientific information about how eating a plant based diet can help you reverse, you know, diabetes. And then there's also information about how it can help you reverse heart disease. And there's also information about how it can help you reverse specific forms of cancer and beyond. And it's interesting how it's like a tool that people from all different walks of, you know, different health histories are finding massive benefit from. And your dad's a perfect example of somebody who had two different conditions, potentially even more. And both of them were improved in a short period of time. And that's something that like most doctors, unfortunately, are just unaware of right now.
0: It was literally within seven months. He ended up going to the Creative Health Institute, which was open at that time. And they helped him and really educated him on how to integrate a plant-based diet into his lifestyle. And then he came home and we hired a vegan chef. And within seven months, both were completely gone. And and again, the doctors were just like, oh, misdiagnosis on the cancer. And I remember being super angry because I was like, what do you mean this is a misdiagnosis? Everyone needs to know about this. And it was actually one of the things that sparked a lot of light in me to become a voice and start sharing like you guys have about what is possible. And so I wanted to really start with what the misconceptions are with diabetes and specifically the five types. I think people know about, often know about type one and type two, but they don't know that there's really five common types of diabetes. And I was wondering if you guys could just share a little bit about that and the misconceptions that often are thought from a standard approach from Americans. Yeah.
1: Okay, sure. So diabetes has become pretty complicated in today's world. It used to be there's only two types of diabetes, type 1 and type 2. That's it. But now scientists actually have a lot more information about the fact that there's many different forms of diabetes that can affect you at different ages and different sexes. So the first one is type 1 diabetes, and that's what Robbie has. That's what I have. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition. So what that means is that our own immune systems have been tricked and or coerced and or hijacked into believing that there's specific proteins on the surface of beta cells that secrete insulin are problematic. So as a result of that, our own immune system has gone and actually destroyed the insulin producing beta cells inside of our pancreas. That happens for all people living with type 1 diabetes. And as a result of that, their insulin production goes from being you know, normal or 100% of normal all the way downwards of 20%, 15%, some people even closer to zero. So that's a huge problem because when you don't manufacture insulin, that is a life-threatening condition, period, end of story. So that's why it's necessary for people with type 1 diabetes to also develop, to work with a doctor and make sure that they are on insulin therapy. Insulin therapy being that they have to inject insulin from the outside world whether it's you know a long acting insulin or a fast acting insulin or some combination of the both. Type 1.5 diabetes is another form of autoimmune diabetes that is generally affects people who are older than the age of 30. So you can think of type 1 diabetes as being a you know generally considered something that happens in the first 30 years of life. Type 1.5 diabetes happens usually after the age of about 30 and it's a slower progressing weaker autoimmune reaction. And so as a result of that, people who are diagnosed with type 1.5 diabetes, they do display antibodies that are specific to cell surface proteins in their pancreas. But the strength of that autoimmune condition is much less than it is in somebody living with type 1 diabetes. So somebody with type 1 diabetes can progress from being normal to being fully insulin dependent in something like 12 to 18 months. But in somebody with type 1.5 diabetes, it can take them five years, it can take them 10 years, and some people may never even get there. So it's, uh, I like to think of it as an adult-onset, slow-progressing version of type 1 diabetes. Then you have pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes. Now, pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes are considered, you know, quote-unquote, lifestyle diabetes, and they are conditions that are actually the products of another condition that predates them. So the cause of both prediabetes and type 2 diabetes is this thing called insulin resistance. So insulin resistance is, you can think of it as like a series of dominoes. Insulin resistance is the first domino. And when insulin resistance becomes present in your body, and we can go into a lot of detail about why that would be the case later, but when insulin resistance begins... Insulin resistance, if left untreated, can progress into pre-diabetes. And then pre-diabetes, if left untreated, can progress into type 2 diabetes. And the beauty is that no matter where you are along this spectrum, from insulin resistant to pre-diabetes to type 2 diabetes, you can pretty much always move in the opposite direction. And you can move yourself back towards non-diabetic. If you make the right lifestyle choices and you adopt the right nutrition habits and the right exercise habits and the right stress management habits. It's very effective to start moving in the opposite direction. And then the final form of diabetes is gestational diabetes. Now, gestational diabetes, as you can think of it as like a temporary form of diabetes that affects women who are pregnant. It usually sets in somewhere around the end of the first trimester, middle of the second trimester or so. And usually a woman will go to a routine physical during, a, during their pregnancy, and then their doctor will administer what's called a glucose tolerance test. They will take this glucose tolerance test, and if they fail the glucose tolerance test, meaning if their blood glucose goes too high during this process, then they get diagnosed with gestational diabetes. And as a result of that, they then are told to modify their habits such that they can Improve their own health, you know, the mom's health, but then also improve the chances of the baby being born in a very healthy state. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, gestational diabetes the interesting thing here is that women who are diagnosed with gestational diabetes, if it disappears during or after pregnancy, are still at a greater risk for the development of prediabetes and type 2 diabetes after they deliver. So, there's actually a very strong connection between gestational and prediabetes and type 2 diabetes and unfortunately most women don't know this and so it's really important to understand that you know all three of these forms are very closely connected to each other and they can all be treated with the exact same
2: approach
0: wow it's incredible thank you so much for for breaking that down i wanted to dive a little bit into both of your background with diabetes in relationship to when it was diagnosed and then what was the treatment that was recommended in onset of the diagnosis and then when you guys actually discovered the plant-based protocol and really started to implement these lifestyle changes and how that came about.
2: Yeah, so for me, I basically self-diagnosed myself with type 1 diabetes. I have two older brothers and my middle older brother was diagnosed 8 years prior to me. So I was familiar with type 1, I was familiar with the symptoms, and I was complaining to my mom. I said, Mom, I'm thirsty all the time. I'm going to the bathroom all the time. I think I have diabetes just like Steve. And she said, no, no, don't be silly. You don't have diabetes. I was like, okay. And eventually, her and my father traveled to Florida. We were living in Minnesota at the time. They were looking at homes because we were going to move there. And she called to check in and said, how are things going? And I said, Mom, I couldn't sleep last night. I was cramping the whole time. She said, okay, go upstairs, use your brother's blood glucose meter, and test yourself. And I did, and I was well over 400. You're supposed to be somewhere between 80 and 130. And right then and there, my brother said, yep, you have type 1 diabetes. Pack your bag. You're going to be in the hospital for a few nights. So we went to the general doctor. And they made the diagnosis there. And that was the first time I saw my older brother cry. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. You have to deal with this. And I remember my parents coming back the next night. And my dad just said, look, this is an inconvenience. Don't worry about it. You can still do whatever you want in life. And that was sort of the mentality we took. My parents made sure that we had the best care possible. So living in Minnesota, we could travel to Rochester and go to the Mayo Clinic, where I had an endocrinologist. I had a nutritionist. I had a psychologist and they were just trying to give us complete care. And at that time, it was really just the standard American diet make sure to follow each of the food groups and just do your best to eat what you want and be normal. That was the key thing. Like, oh, we just want you to still be a normal adolescent. So I was 12, just about to turn 13 at this time when I was diagnosed. And I think in hindsight, that was a missed opportunity to really educate me on what things I can do to improve my overall health, not just my diabetes health and my A1C and my blood glucose management, but what can I do to actually become a healthier person? And Cyrus and I both see this, in hindsight, as a blessing now. So I continue to try and just manage type 1 as best as I can. I start reading some books, learning about different diets. I eventually tried the Weston A. Price Foundation diet where I was eating a lot of grass-fed beef and a lot of like raw milk. I would go to the farmer's market and buy milk for cats because you can't sell raw milk to humans. So I tried to follow along the guidelines, never really saw any major improvements in my diabetes health and just kept on searching. And at the time, I was struggling with a lot of just normal, standard American diet symptoms. I had plantar fasciitis, so it's a painful feet in the arches, uh, the arches of your feet, painful condition in the arches of your feet. And I wore these big blue boots at night, which is really un- just frustrating and uncomfortable. As a competitive tennis player, this was frustrating. I had terrible acne. So I would go to the dermatologist and do laser treatments, microdermal abrasion treatments. I did pills. I did creams. Eventually, they put me on Accutane, the most serious drug you can take for acne, which was unfortunate. And I also had chronic allergies. I took Nazinex, Claritin-D, still got sick all the time, and warts on my feet. So I just had these standard American symptoms that I certainly wanted to address. And my dad was kind of into selling supplements. I just started to learn a little more. What can I do? How can I take better care of myself? And eventually, while I was in high school, I was at Barnes & Noble picking up some spark notes for for high school. And I had a book just basically fall off the shelf. This was Kevin Trudeau's Natural Cures, they don't want you to know about. I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of this guy, saw his <laughs> commercials. He's got a handsome looking dude with his purple book. It was just everywhere. And I pick up that book. Now, look, I'm not recommending that book. The guy ended up going to jail. Like, there's some problems there. But the, the book planted a seed in my mind that, you know what, maybe it's possible to reverse type 1 diabetes. Maybe if I can live healthfully, I can get my beta cells that Cyrus explained have been damaged by antibodies. Maybe I can get those beta cells to regenerate and work again. So that just sent me on this mission to do anything and everything I possibly could to give my body the chance to heal itself. I wanted to eat well, I wanted to sleep well, I want to drink pure water, just like do everything I could. So I ended up trying a bunch of different diets on this mission of like, okay, let's make it so I will take less and less insulin eventually hopefully not needing any insulin. That was, that was the goal at the time. And I actually eventually try a plant-based ketogenic diet where I'm basically eating, my calories are coming from oil, nuts and seeds, small amounts of bell peppers, lots of greens, lots of celery. I couldn't have any fruit. All that stuff is off limits. And on that approach, I, the biggest problem was I had no energy. That was my biggest issue. So I was a freshman at the University of Florida and I was blacked out on campus several times and the whole thing was just scary. So I ended up going back to a naturopath and like, okay, what can I do now? What can I try? And she's like, you know what? Maybe you need some chelation therapy. Maybe we'll try that. Maybe heavy metals are an issue here. So I'm like, okay, I'll consider that. But before I signed up for the chelation therapy, I heard a podcast, which is always fun every time I tell the story while on a podcast, (laughs) because it it literally changed my life. the course of my life, absolutely positively took a dramatic turn for the better because of this one podcast where I heard this guy, Doug Graham, talking about, he's a chiropractor, and he was talking about how eating a healthy diet, lots of fruits and lots of vegetables can help your body cleanse heavy metals on its own. Like, there's a way to do that naturally. I'm like, wow, I haven't had fruit for a long time. I love fruit. I'm going to give this a shot. So I signed up for his program. I signed up for private coaching with him, and I learned how to eat this new lifestyle where I'm just eating lots of fruit. And the major impact was this experience of eating hundreds and hundreds of grams of carbohydrate and needing less and less insulin. My insulin sensitivity went through the roof. And I know we're going to talk more about that and why that's so important, but your people living with diabetes are told to limit their fruit consumption Limit their carbohydrate consumption, because if you consume those foods, you will need lots and lots of insulin, and your blood glucose will be very hard to control. And I was experiencing the exact opposite. So at this point, I'm a freshman at the University of Florida. I have access to peer-reviewed journals. I start looking into this, like, what's going on? Like, is this stuff been documented? And I find that this has been in the research for almost 100 years now. And I got really excited about it, just kept on doing it. My skin cleared up. Plantar fasciitis went away. I don't take any allergy medications. No more warts on my feet. The only medication I use now is insulin, and I will literally eat more grams of total carbohydrate in one lunch meal than I did an entire week on a plant-based ketogenic diet, and I still use less total insulin than the average person doing a ketogenic diet. So a normal human pancreas will secrete roughly twenty-five to like fifty-ish units of insulin per day. Cyrus and I are both on the low end. I use about 27 units of total insulin per day while eating five, six, seven, eight times more carbohydrate than any diabetes organization would ever recommend. So this personal transformation then being you know, confirmed through peer-reviewed research led me to like, really get passionate about this and share it with others. So here we are today mm. with our book out and helping a lot of people, and it's really exciting.
0: Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I was laughing about the Kevin Trudeau because <laughs> that was one of the first books that I was like, wow, someone's speaking out about this. Yes. And I also don't <laughs> recommend it, but I, I do have that memory as well, where I was, it was like the first awakening to, wow, someone's actually talking about this in the mainstream. That's he
2: did a great about. job of raising awareness. His commercials exactly. worked. <laughs> exactly.
0: He was a good marketer. Yeah, I would love to hear your story, Cyrus, as well, just about how you also came to just discover the importance of plant-based. I think it's important for people to hear that. It's not often through the medical community. It's often through a podcast. It's often through a book. It's often through like myself, just someone who's become an expert because they have a voice or you guys. It's not always, you know, through a medical community or or the people that we often trust. And so Cyrus, I'm curious for you too, what what that journey looked like.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I was diagnosed with type one diabetes at the age of 22. So I was a senior in college. I was going to Stanford University, and I was just graduating, trying to move on with my life. And uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I get diagnosed with uh, type one diabetes, which to me seemed kind of strange because I didn't really know anything about diabetes to begin with. But I thought that I was a pretty healthy guy, and you know, I had been, I have been an athlete my entire life, and I thought I ate a healthy diet, and yet at that time in my life, I was very low energy urinating something between 15 and 20 times per day. My memory wasn't very good. I was noticeably slower than usual. And I knew that something was wrong. I just didn't exactly know what I could do about it. So I picked up the phone and I called my sister and she's a family practice doctor of osteopathy. And I said, hey, Shanaz, I got all these symptoms. What is going on? And she is normally a pretty cool cucumber, and she doesn't really get phased by much. She started crying immediately, and she said, Cyrus, please drop everything that you're doing right now and go straight to the hospital. And I said, why? She said, because you're explaining to me that you have the symptoms of type 1 diabetes, and it's very dangerous. In fact, it's life-threatening. Don't mess around. And I said to her, I was like, Shanaz, come on, I don't have type 1 diabetes. What are you talking about? And she said, Cyrus, I don't have time to explain. Just go. So I said, all right, fine. Uh, went to the, checked myself into the health center. And while I was there, they, in a blood glucose meter, they left, the, the nurse, you know, sampled my blood, left the room, came back within three minutes or so. And I had already passed out. I was, I woke up to the, the sound of her coming back into the room and she looked at me and she said, she looked me square in the eye and said, do you have a car here? And I said, no, I do not have a car. And she's like, how did you get here? I said, I walked. She goes, okay, great. We are going to take you directly to the hospital right now because your blood glucose is alarmingly high. And I said, how high is it? She said, it's 680. And I said, wow, I, I don't know what that means. She said, your blood glucose is supposed to be between 80 and 130 all day long, every day. Your blood glucose is six times higher than it needs to be. This is an emergency situation. We gotta go. So they ended up transporting me to the hospital. And once I got there, the doctors at the hospital, you know, they triaged me immediately, took me to a room, and then started, they gave me two injections. One of them was saline in one arm, and the other one was insulin in the other arm. And the whole purpose was to get me hydrated, number one, but then also to uh, start bringing my blood glucose down by using insulin. So under supervision for the first 24 hours in the hospital, they discovered that not only did I have type 1 diabetes, but I actually had two other autoimmune conditions that didn't go fully diagnosed before that point. And those two other autoimmune conditions were Hashimoto's hypothyroidism and alopecia universalis. So the first one, Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, is basically a form of hypothyroidism that is today. And uh, it's when your thyroid gland does not secrete a sufficient amount of thyroid hormone. So that had set in over the previous approximately six months. And I remember feeling quite low energy and not really being able to explain why that was happening to me. But Hashimoto's was the explanation. The second thing, the, the next condition was alopecia universalis, which is just a fancy way of saying you don't have any hair or you lost your hair. So in the six months preceding diagnosis with type 1 diabetes, my hair had begun to fall out. And it was falling out relatively quickly. And I had basically just shaved my head so that I wouldn't have to deal with hair loss anymore. And I was basically bald at that point. So the doctors basically pieced this puzzle together and they said, You have not one, not two, but three autoimmune conditions. How interesting. And I said to myself, That is quite interesting. Why is this happening? And they said, Well, we don't know the answer. There's, you know, we got to like probe a little bit deeper. So to this day, I still don't have an answer as to why I have all three of those autoimmune conditions. The thing that's important here is that I was diagnosed with all three of them within a six month window. So you can imagine as just like a happy go lucky, you know, college graduate that all of a sudden you go from being a healthy, a quote unquote, healthy individual to someone living with three autoimmune conditions with no explanation. It was a little bit unnerving to
0: mm-hmm. say the least. Mm-hmm.
1: So I followed the advice to the doctors and they basically said, Hey, look, you know, we can't teach you how to eat. To improve your health with uh, Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, but we can tell you how to eat to improve your health living with diabetes. And it's called a low carbohydrate diet. So we're gonna teach you how to eat, how to minimize your carbohydrate intake, and how to eat foods that are rich in protein and fat. And I said, okay, great. What are those foods? So they said, well, you know, those foods include things like chicken and fish and meat and dairy products and olive oil. And we want you to limit your intake of carbohydrate rich foods like fruits and potatoes and rice and quinoa and corn and, you know, foods similar to that. So I said, okay, fine. You know, I, I like those foods, you know, the, the protein and fat rich foods anyway, I'll eat those. No problem. So eating this low carbohydrate diet for the first month of, uh, I'm sorry, for the first year of living with type one diabetes was supposed to make my blood glucose more controllable, but it did the exact opposite. My blood glucose was a, an absolute disaster. On any given day, my glucose could range from as low as 40 all the way upwards of 400. And there just didn't seem to be any connection between what my blood glucose meter was doing and all of the things that I had put into my lifestyle to try and control my diabetes. Right? It didn't matter how much I exercised. It didn't matter how low stress my life was. It didn't matter what I ate, what I didn't eat, how much I ate. It just didn't seem to matter because the only thing that mattered was that I, every time I checked my blood glucose, I'd get some weird number that was relatively unexplainable on my blood glucose meter, and then that would make me more frustrated. So after about a year of living this way, I decided that enough was enough. I just wasn't willing to put up with this anymore. And my body felt terrible. I mean, I was tight. I was sore all over the place. My muscles were hurting. My joints were hurting. And I just got, I got kind of depressed. So I decided that it was time for something different. And I started doing a bunch of reading and learning online. And I came across the exact same guy that Robbie came across, Dr. Doug Graham. And a friend of mine gave me a recommendation, said, hey, maybe you should talk with Dr. Doug. He Maybe he's got some information for you. So I went and I attended a retreat that he was putting on. And under his supervision for the first 30 days, excuse me, for the first seven days under his supervision, he basically had me eating the exact opposite of a low-carbohydrate diet. He taught me how to eliminate high-fat foods like meat and dairy products and fish and bacon and eggs and to start eating lots of fruits and vegetables. And when I say lot, I mean a lot of fruits and vegetables. So on any given day, I would be eating upwards of about 15 servings of fruit per day. And you can imagine somebody with type 1 diabetes, I was pretty nervous that that was going to raise my Insulin use dramatically and make my blood glucose harder to control, but it did the exact opposite. And within the first seven days, my glucose fell like a rock and my insulin use fell like a rock. And I walked out of his retreat seven days later, eating 600 grams of carbohydrate per day, which, like Robbie said, you know, is more than a an average person with diabetes will eat in a week. And I was doing that every day. And then, in addition to that, my insulin use had fallen by 40 percent. So I was effectively eating a significantly larger amount of carbohydrate for less insulin. And my, this light bulb went off in my head where I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why have I been told the exact opposite? I don't understand. Something different is happening here and I'm very interested. So long story short, I put myself back to graduate school and I went and I got a PhD in nutritional biochemistry because I was so intrigued by what was happening inside of my own body that I wanted to learn more information. I just wanted more and more and more. So I went to UC. Berkeley, I studied nutritional biochemistry, and there I was given the opportunity to learn more about diabetes, what it is, what causes it, how do you influence diabetes to your advantage? How do you make it worse, and how do you recover diabetes? And while I was there, I uncovered more than a hundred years' worth of evidence-based information, just like Robbie was alluding to, about the fact that human beings, you know we know, we have known for almost hundred years. How to solve type 2 diabetes and prediabetes, and how to control type 1 diabetes with precision. This has been known for many, many, many years. It's just that the mainstream medical world and the mainstream scientific world just isn't paying attention to that information. And so, as a result of that, we created Mastering Diabetes so that we could go teach people living with all forms of diabetes how to transition to a plant based diet so they could get very, very similar results to us, if not even better. And here we are today, three, four years after creating Mastering Diabetes, having changed the lives of many people. And we are pretty excited about that.
0: It's really incredible also just because when you're someone who has been diagnosed and your doctor is telling you that there is no way to reverse this condition or there's no way to cure a condition regardless of its diabetes or, or something else, I believe that that just imprints in your mind and then you stop the search. And you just become complacent with, okay, this is going to be my life. And I think it's so important. That's why I absolutely love what you guys are doing because only through education and stumbling across those pieces of information would you have had this awareness to say, oh my gosh, there's another option. And yet so many people are just like, okay, this is my destiny. And so I'm going to become complacent and I'm going to live with this. And then that continues down this rabbit hole of the anxiousness and sometimes the depression of, okay, this is what I have to live with. And I just love that, that there's this other approach that is so driven by hope and trust that our bodies know how to heal. Totally. Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you guys specifically to go into that insulin resistance piece. How did someone know if they're insulin resistant and, and what does that even mean? What does it mean to be insulin resistant? Just so people have some context around that.
1: Okay, sure. So insulin resistance is a uh, very prevalent health condition that affects more than one third of the US population today. And most people who are living with insulin resistance have no idea because it's not, a, it's not a condition that's routinely tested for. And there's kind of very crude metrics to test for it in the first place when you go to the doctor's office. But insulin resistance is a condition that is caused by the excess consumption of dietary fat. And right there, I'll stop myself because there are many people who will disagree with me and tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about and that we don't understand the biochemistry of insulin resistance. But if you go into the literature and you actually search for the things that cause insulin resistance from, a, uh, from an experimental point of view, the consumption of not only excess dietary fat, but specifically saturated fat is what creates the state of insulin resistance. So when you consume high fat foods, whether they're chicken or red meat or white meat or fish or bacon or eggs or cheese, the fat in those foods are locked up into molecules called triglycerides. So those triglyceride molecules enter your mouth, they travel down your esophagus, they get into your stomach, they start to get partially acted upon by enzymes inside of your stomach, and then they end up in your small intestine. Your small intestine has, is like a chamber whereby your liver and your pancreas and your small intestine itself are manufacturing enzymes that are specifically designed to try and break apart the constituents inside of your food. And so there are specific enzymes whose job it is to tear apart this triglyceride molecule and rip off the glycerol backbone from the fatty acids. So the fatty acids end up getting absorbed through the walls of your small intestine, they enter your blood, and then they circulate to tissues all throughout your body. Now, if if those fatty acids ended up going into your adipose tissue or your fat tissue and only your adipose tissue, then diabetes wouldn't really be a problem in today's world. The problem is that these fatty acids get directed towards your adipose tissue, which is technically speaking, a safe place to keep them because it's a tissue that's perfectly designed to uptake fatty acids when they're present and to store them for long periods of time. But in addition to, those adi- to the adipose tissue fatty acids also migrate their way into your liver and your muscle. And that's okay as long as the total quantity of fatty acids in your diet is relatively low. And if the total quantity of fatty acids in your diet is relatively low, then the amount of fat that gets inside of your muscle and liver is kept at a relatively low concentration. And those cells inside of your liver and muscle maintain status quo. The problem happens when you consume a low-carbohydrate diet or a a diet that is higher in fat and or higher in protein over the course of time. When you're eating fat-rich foods for breakfast and or lunch and or dinner today and then tomorrow and the next day and next week and so on and so forth, over the course of time, the total quantity of fat, especially saturated fat that gets inside of your mouth, ends up over-accumulating inside of your liver and your muscle. So there's a spillover from your adipose tissue because your adipose tissue can only really hold a certain amount. And the spillover goes inside of your muscle and in your liver. And at that point, both your muscle and liver are now being forced to take up more saturated fat than they were designed to do. So at this point, your liver and muscle say, okay, hold on a second, hold on. Let's try and find a way to block more fatty acids from coming in because this stuff is causing an inflammatory process and it's changing the way that this cell is structured to um, or is designed to operate. So what they do is they try and block fatty acids from coming in, but there's very poor mechanisms to be able to block fatty acids from coming in. And so instead of basically directly blocking those fatty acids, what they do is they tell insulin to stop working as well. And by doing so, if they can kind of remain... Sheltered from insulin's effects or stop paying attention to insulin as well, then every time insulin knocks on the door and says, Hey, I've got some glucose. Would you like to take it up? The cells can basically say, Hey, no, 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 I'm not paying attention to you. Keep that glucose outside because glucose is another energy source. And if these cells can't directly block fatty acids from coming in, they will certainly try and block another energy source, which is glucose. And in the process, They can also block a small amount of fatty acids from coming in because insulin also controls the rate at which these fatty acids get in. So your liver and muscles basically initiate this thing called insulin resistance, which is the resistance to insulin or the lack of paying attention to insulin or the lack of communication with insulin. And by doing so, they basically are trying to protect themselves against more and more energy from coming inside. So what that means is that the next time you go eat something that's carbohydrate rich, whether it's a banana or a mango or a plate of black beans or a quinoa, when you eat carbohydrate rich foods, the glucose from those carbohydrates tries to get inside of your liver and muscle and it's accompanied by insulin. So insulin knocks on the door and says, hey, knock, knock, I got this glucose. Do you want to take it up? And your liver and muscles respond by saying, no, 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 no. I'm playing the insulin resistance game. I'm not going to pay attention to you. I have to burn these saturated fatty acid molecules that came before you, and once I'm able to burn a significant quantity of them, then I can take you up. So effectively, there's a traffic jam, right? The saturated fatty acids have sort of like created the traffic jam, and the glucose is just the messenger which is getting left behind. So as a result of that, because glucose can't enter your liver and muscle effectively, both insulin and glucose get trapped inside of your blood. And that's classic insulin resistance. You go to the doctor, the doctor says, hey, looks like your lipids on your blood are elevated. That's interesting. Looks like your glucose is elevated. Looks like your insulin levels are, in, are elevated. How interesting. So this is a classic state of insulin resistance in which saturated fatty acids have basically caused the plug. And then there, there's, a, there's a domino effect that results in a glucose and insulin traffic jam inside of your blood. Now, the beauty is that you can actually reverse this whole situation by changing the quantity of fatty acids that you're consuming and the type of fatty acids that you're consuming and switch over to a more carbohydrate-rich diet, which is what happens when you eat a plant-based diet. And by doing so, you're able to actually reverse this process from the cellular perspective, which then relieves the stress inside of this traffic jam, which makes it so that next time you eat carbohydrate-rich foods... The glucose can easily enter your liver and muscle, which then drops the amount of glucose that's stuck inside of your blood and drops the amount of insulin that's required to do work. And as a result of that, you become more insulin sensitive.
0: Hey there, friend. Are you loving this podcast? I want to continue to support you. So the simplest way to do this is to head over to sarahandstewart.com and pop into the newsletter. Doing this ensures that you never, ever miss any details of our new projects, products, upcoming events, or issues that are near or dear to my heart. You're also going to get access to the movement. This is the inner circle of people just like you standing in their power to bring more truth, and a new level of consciousness where all individuals get to live a diet-free life in a body that they love. So pop on over to Stewart.com and subscribe, and I'll see you on the inside. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think this is why, if you're listening, you just need to get educated because there's so many misconceptions, right, around the, even just the specifics of that it's really about sugar. And now I'm hearing from you, it's a lot about fat as well and regulating carbohydrates and how many carbohydrates you're having. And so I think this is such an educational piece around the fact that whatever you're going through, whatever you're up against, you have to educate yourself. (laughs) And I love that explanation. So thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm curious for you guys, what your day-to-day diet looks like? Because when we say plant-based, people might have some confusion around that and misconceptions around that. So can you just walk us through kind of what you're recommending for people and how to get started and then what you guys are kind of eating every day that would be helpful to, to people that are on the complete other side of the spectrum thinking, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm completely keto right now, or <laughs> I'm completely, I'm, I'm eating all those fats, I'm eating everything that you're saying I shouldn't be eating. And I'm really of the belief that you have to figure out what works best for you, but I am of the belief too, that you have to educate yourself. And this is incredible to hear that there's this other side.
2: Yeah. So now we all understand insulin resistance. I love hearing Cyrus explain all that. I've heard it a million times and I still love hearing it. <laughs> And I want your audience to really understand why insulin sensitivity is so important. So before I get into like the foods to eat, and insulin resistance is if somebody's struggling with weight loss, or they are struggling with energy, or they have high triglycerides, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, chronic kidney disease, erectile dysfunction, PCOS, I mean, the list goes on and on and on, we covered all in the book, but these conditions are impacted by your level of insulin resistance or your level of insulin sensitivity. So, there's really just a wide range of benefits and people who can benefit from understanding the science behind insulin resistance and then what it takes to become more insulin sensitive. And then you see all these amazing results. So, for people like Cyrus and myself, we're living with type 1 diabetes. So we're these fascinating test subjects where we can objectively see how. Insulin resistant or insulin sensitive, we are on a meal by meal basis because we know how much insulin we're injecting. Whereas a lot of people listen to the show, like, you don't know if your pancreas secreted more or less insulin because of that one specific meal. You don't know. But the health results that you're either experiencing or not experiencing are an indication of your level of insulin resistance. So we teach people how to, we have a complete system. I mean, we're going to talk about food here, but I want people to understand like the mastering diabetes method that we discuss in the book is truly the gold standard for addressing insulin resistance at every single element, every way you possibly can. So part of our method includes intermittent fasting, includes daily movement. And then when you come to the the dietary component, we're addressing it on all levels, including the fat, which Cyrus just explained, but advanced glycation end products are problematic. And those are higher in animal products and processed foods and things like heme iron, which is again, an issue with animal products. So we're really looked at insulin resistance and said, okay, what can you do to address that on all levels? And and that's what we're doing here. So when it comes to the dietary approach, we've made it really, really easy to understand and simple to follow. We have a traffic light system, green light foods, yellow light foods, and red light foods. The green light category has fruits, that's bananas, pears, peaches, mangoes, papaya, lots of different fruits all the fruits, and then starchy vegetables, potatoes, yams, butternut, squashes, and beans, lentils, peas. Then we have intact whole grains. That's like farro, millet, quinoa, lots of all the whole grains, but intact is the key word there. And then we move into non-starchy vegetables, leafy greens, herbs and spices, and mushrooms. But the first four categories are listed in that order intentionally. Because we want people to focus on eating those energy dense foods. Because when people transition to a plant based diet, they think, oh, it's just a bunch of salads and carrots and a bunch of rabbit food. And they start eating a lot of salad and then they get hungry and they go back to eating the food that they ate previously and they feel better. And they're like, oh, you know what? The plant based diet didn't work for me. I needed to have some meat. Most likely, the biggest mistake that we see there is somebody's not eating enough calories. They're not eating enough calorie dense foods. That's why we teach people to focus on the fruits the starchy vegetables, the intact whole grains, and the beans. Those foods give you energy and keep you satisfied, and they actually maximize your insulin sensitivity when eaten in a low-fat environment. So the yellow light foods, this is where we get into the category of being cognizant of how much high-fat food you're consuming and how much processed food you're consuming. So we have avocados, nuts and seeds, olives, coconut meat, Those higher fat plant-based foods are put in the yellow light category. And that just means be careful with how much you're consuming. They're still healthy. They're nutrient dense. They're a great option. If you have too many, you will put yourself into an insulin resistant state. And again, we see that through research, but we also see that through our personal experience with thousands of clients and being type ones ourselves. We can really see the relationship between how much insulin is required when people start to sneak in those higher fat plant-based foods. The yellow light category also includes more processed plant-based foods, so that's going to be things like bread. So a food like Ezekiel bread is a great option, but it's a little more calorie dense and can inhibit your weight loss journey, can also spike your blood glucose level. It's better to just eat whatever that bread was made out of. Same thing when it comes to brown rice pasta or bean pasta or quinoa pasta. These are great options, but uh, we still prefer you go for the yellow light intact whole grain version. The red light foods, these are foods we suggest you minimize or completely avoid. That includes animal products. Again, they're mostly high in fat there. Animal protein is concerning. And we also have processed foods in this category. Those are obvious. And oils, all oils are in the red light category. They are one of the most processed foods you can consume. They are not going to help you maximize your insulin sensitivity. They are pure fat. They've taken away Majority of the vitamins, minerals, antioxidants. There's no carbohydrate left. There's no protein left. It's just pure fat. You're better off eating the whole food. Eat some olives, eat some, some coconut meat, and stay away from the oil. So that's the simple structure in the book. We also go through green light, yellow light, and red light cooking ingredients, and same thing for beverages. But uh, the dietary component here. It's, it's very simple to follow and you can then piece those ingredients together to have a very wide variety of meals. And one of the things we are most passionate about in our coaching program is that people come to us and they learn how to change their diet and they love every single meal. They really, really are satisfied, enjoy the flavor, enjoy the texture, and don't feel like they're missing out on anything. This is not a sacrifice. You actually enjoy the food and feel amazing and get all the health benefits. It's a win-finity situation. So we encourage people to start with a fruit-based breakfast if they are insulin-sensitive enough. Okay? In the book, we have two separate meal plans. We have a meal plan for people who have a higher level of baseline insulin resistance, and there's going to be some tweaks into what they may have for breakfast. That's going to might focus more towards things like beans or things like intact whole grains. Or if you're going to have fruit, you really, really focus on adding in greens and non-starchy vegetables, so those two different meal plans for that. But in general, we love to have people eat a fruit-based breakfast. You eat four servings of your, your favorite fruit, put in some ground flax seeds, ground chia seeds, about a tablespoon of either one of those, and you will automatically meet your essential fatty acid requirements right then and there and then all the other essential fatty acids you get from the whole foods you consume throughout the rest of the day is just bonus material because every whole food you consume has essential fatty acids that's right your bananas lettuce pears peaches all of it potatoes contain small amounts of essential fatty acids and they accumulate throughout the day to absolutely exceed your needs but the chia seeds or flax seeds those are an insurance policy so that's breakfast and then Lunch, we move into a more calorie-dense meal. This is when people are more active. So it's going to be a very hearty meal. Might include like a bean stew or, you know, a Mastering Diabetes, we do a lot of bowls. You just, you might put a, a baked potato in there. You might have some green peas. You might have a little bit of lettuce and some carrots and put a little sriracha sauce on there. You can really mix it up. So lots of bowls. You can have burritos, stuff like that for lunch. Once we get into dinner, It's more of a vegetable-centric salad that still includes some calorie-dense food on the side. So you're still going to have some potatoes, some rice, some beans, you can have fruit at dinner, but we're really going to focus on the vegetable content there and really make sure that meal is extremely nutrient-dense. And when you have a little bit of a lower carbohydrate load at that dinner meal, that's going to help you achieve a lower fasting, but glucose reading, which a lot of people want to see when they when they work with us. So we're really putting the bulk of the calories towards the middle of the day. We encourage people to snack on fruits and vegetables throughout the day. Whenever you're hungry, go ahead and enjoy it. We have a whole chapter on calorie density and why you can actually eat more food and weigh less when following our program. We don't have restrictions on portion size or calories as long as you're focusing on green light foods.
0: Yeah, that's why I love your guys's program because it doesn't feel or energetically feel like a diet. It doesn't feel like you're depriving yourself or having to. Yes, it's a lifestyle. It's just right. like a lifestyle and we can't create sustainable change and we can't think about our long-term health if we're implementing things that are only for the short term. And that's where people get frustrated and then the discipline isn't there. And then they're like, well, I there's no way that I can sustain this. And I've noticed with myself when I'm eating those more nutrient-dense foods, I'm fuller, I have more energy, I feel more vital, my skin's clear my brain clarity is there. I'm not having brain fog. I, I can get through the day. And so that's why I absolutely love how you guys have integrated this approach that, that really is about a lifestyle. This isn't about a quick fix, fast solution to drop some pounds. This is really about how do we sustain and create a healthy life around what we're eating, which has been, <laughs> you know, for our ancestors taught, taught us about this. And now it's like, okay, let's get back to the slow food movement and getting back to the farms and getting back to sustainability and the things that come from the earth. So I'm really, really thankful for the work that you guys have done. I could literally ask you guys so many questions, but I know we've been going for about an hour. I wanted to just let people find out more about you guys and where your programs are, where, you're, where they can get your book, all of those amazing things so that they can dive in deeper and really get access to this content and, and make sure that they're they're following up. So where are the best places to reach out and, and connect with you guys?
2: Okay. So first off, we have a podcast too, and it's called the Mastering Diabetes Audio Experience. So if you like podcasts, come and check us out over there. We release the show about once a week and interview a lot of experts. That's one of our favorite things to do at Mastering Diabetes is lean on a bunch of other really, really smart people and bring their information to the surface so people can uh, really understand the truth about insulin resistance, insulin sensitivity and how it relates to chronic disease. So check out our podcast. The book is available everywhere you can buy a book, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstores. We also read our audiobook, which was really fun. We got to add in some extra material in the front of each chapter and some bonus stuff that we added to the book when it was already printed. So that's available on Audible, Google Play, wherever you listen to audiobooks, The book is also in digital format. So Amazon, Kindle, Nook, you can get it everywhere. So we're excited about that. And our website is a great resource. Go to masteringdiabetes.org. We have lots of blog posts, lots of testimonials, really going into the science. We have a whole packaged foods list of what foods you can buy that are in a package, but actually very clean and very healthy. So we've put together a lot of resources there. We're on social media, Instagram, at Mastering Diabetes, YouTube, Mastering Diabetes, Facebook, so you can find us on all your favorite platforms. We love to connect with everybody. We, we respond to DMs and answer questions. So if people are looking for coaching, we do online coaching. We give people private attention if they need a private coach. We have you know, a signature program, which is a much more affordable, larger group. We have a DIY program for people who want to just get the recipes, get the video instructions, and just be like told exactly what to do in a step-by-step manner. That's available all on our website. So we're available on all the platforms.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys so much for being here. I'm really excited for the listeners to dive in further and I, I just really appreciate the work that you are both doing.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah. I appreciate all the, uh, the work that you're doing and the uh, attention you give to like true sustainable methods for reversing chronic disease and maximizing their total health. So keep up the good work and you know we're honored to be here today. So thanks again.
0: Thank you. All right, did you feel any major shifts take place, any aha moments? I wanna hear if this podcast inspired you to integrate more of a plant-based nutrition protocol into your daily life. Again, I'm so thankful for Cyrus and Robbie for sharing their stories with us today. And I wanna leave you with some simple mindset shifts and a challenge to take with you this week. And so I get that integrating a whole foods, plant-based diet into your life right now might feel challenging or even impossible. We all know that we're living in a world that isn't slowing down. Our to-do lists keep getting longer, the demands of our life aren't disappearing and the stress that we're under really often feels like it's on the rise. And most people would argue that there is a real need for cheap, fast, convenient, on-the-go food. But consider for a moment, just a moment, what if fast food, packaged food, cheap processed food is making the quality of our lives much worse? What if speeding up is actually slowly killing us. And I know that sounds depressing, but I just want to present you with the facts because it is. There is substantial evidence, case studies, and research directly linking fast food, packaged food, and the food with substantial preservatives to drastically decreasing the quality of our life on us individually and as a society, directly impacting how our entire culture lives, thinks, and feels. These foods are becoming a huge part of American culture and that culture is making its way to other parts of the world. And the terrifying part is most of these fast food campaigns and these packaged food campaigns target our children. On average, children see three to five ads for fatty and sugary fast food items every day. And regardless of our increasing access to nutritional information, chronic sickness statistics are still on the rise. And so it's time Through this movement and the movement of so many others that are cultivating this mindset, it's time to dedicate ourselves to refocusing our attention back to our local food systems, the planet in its entirety, and the collective health of all that will benefit from eating more of a plant-based diet. Simply put, organic plant-based foods is the direct opposite of fast food, allowing the opportunity to create a more positive, healthy, long life. And I believe eating more plant-based foods, even if it isn't in the entirety of your every single meal, it's the secret to achieving more of your wellness goals, whether it's maintaining a healthy weight, boosting your mood, increasing energy, improving your skin, preventing disease, or aging gracefully. It begins with the consumption of chemical-free and clean food and returning back to our kitchens and the farms and the places in which we get this organic, clean food. And so the biggest takeaway from this conversation, if you take anything and just one thing, is that food is not our enemy. In fact, food is our greatest ally. It is what allows us to heal. So in order to find the right foods to nourish, heal, and support our health, we need to then listen and understand our bodies. Sometimes finding the right protocol takes time and patience, and asks us to listen to our body's cues as they arise. So when we do this, we are motivated towards sustainability and changing our approach. So this week, I challenge you to tune into your body, to start paying close attention to how it feels and which foods it responds best to. You get to start to make flexible choices moment by moment that truly satisfy your body's individual needs. One way to get acquainted with your body's unique preferences is to journal before and after eating. For one week, track the way that your body feels throughout the day during mealtime and how it responds to different foods. By keeping track of your body's responses, you are taking an important step in honoring your needs and it will become increasingly easier to make loving and healthy choices for yourself. I trust that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did It was a conversation I believe we could all benefit from. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, I recommend listening to my podcast with Liana Warner Gray, where we approach a similar topic from a different angle about how food can be a spiritual component and can truly heal your life. And so drop me a message on Instagram. If you've been listening to these podcasts, I want to know what's resonating. I want to know what you want more of, what questions do you have, and how can I support you? I also want to celebrate you. so please. Tag me and share with me what is happening in your health and your well-being. I want to celebrate your journey and just incorporate your life into this movement. So you can always find me on the gram at Sarah and Stewart. And again, guys, this is a movement. This is about all of us taking the right steps to increase our health, our well-being, our life in a positive direction. So until next time, I'm sending you so much love. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being part of this movement and joining me. As always, it's an honor and a privilege for me to share this time with you. All right, that concludes this cast. It is my honor to always be here with you. But hang tight because I have one last thought. You're here right now because you are ready. Because while many of us share the feelings of wanting more, not everyone is willing to do what it takes to get it. But you are here. You are ready. So this is your opportunity now to take what you just learned and implement it today. Make a pact with yourself to put just one thing into action. Just one. Write it down, do it, and share it with me. We are all in this together. Thank you for being here. You too can feel awesome from the inside out.